You're listening to sermon audio from Ransom City Church. For more audio content, visit ransomcitychurch.org. Open your Bibles to 1 John 3, 19 through 23, which Chris just read. That's where we're going to be this morning. 1 John 3, verses 19 through 23. We're continuing our series uh, through the letters of John, which brings us to this passage this morning. Uh, while you're flipping there, here's where we're headed. Here's, here's our main point for this morning. It's this, if you're taking notes. Bear the clear marks of a true believer and experience the confidence before God of a true believer. I'll say that again. Bear the clear marks of a true believer and experience the confidence before God of a true believer, of one who knows they've been reconciled to God by the blood of Jesus, by their practice of righteousness and not sin, which shows that the faith that they claim is genuine. So to give you an illustration, we'll come back to this later in the the, the sermon this morning. Bear the clear marks of one of of God's children and experience the confidence of knowing you're one of his children. As opposed to one of his enemies in the face of his awesome power and perfect justice. That's the idea. That's where we're headed this morning. Pray with me and we'll jump in. Lord, we thank you for this time together again this morning to gather together together as, you, as your people and, and worship you. Um, Lord, help us to do that. Help us to make this time about you. Um, and, and Lord, to, to hear what you have to say in your word this morning. Lord, give us eyes to see and ears to hear, hearts ready to receive your word, to repent where we need to repent, um, to be encouraged where we need to be encouraged. Um, and ultimately find our hope of forgiveness, of righteousness, of salvation in Christ and in Christ alone and not our works, but his finished works on our behalf. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So let's jump into our text. Verse 19 and 20 to start. It says, By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and he knows everything. So let's start with, by this, we shall know that we are of the truth. By, by what? What is John referring to? Um, or, or what does he mean by that, first of all? By this, we shall know that our faith is genuine, that we're true believers, that we truly have been saved. That, that's what he's getting at by, by this, we shall know we're of the truth. That, that by this, we'll know that we're true believers, right? That we truly have been saved, that our faith is genuine. The this that he's referring to by by what? By this, the this being our practice of righteousness and not sin. Uh, In in particular, our practice of Christ-like love toward our brothers and sisters in Christ, not just in word, but in deed and in truth, as John talked about in the previous section. So he's looking back to the previous section and saying, by this, by the things I've just talked about, right? By our practice of Christ-like love for our brothers and sisters in Christ, not just in word, but in deed and in truth, right? As he talked about in three eleven through 18, kind of that whole section. So by our practice of righteousness and not sin, in particular, our practice of Christ-like love toward our brothers and sisters in Christ, we shall know that our faith is genuine, that we're true believers, that we're truly saved. Why? Well, because as we've talked about many times in this series, true faith bears fruit. True faith bears fruit, which includes a Christ-like love for our brothers and sisters in Christ. Again, not perfectly, right? Far from perfectly. We're still sinners, even as believers. Amen, right? 
not perfectly, but as a practice, as a ruling principle in our lives, as our new aim to reflect the love of Christ toward our brothers and sisters in Christ and in so doing glorify him, which then shows up in how we live, albeit imperfectly, right? As new creations in Christ, Christians are like distorted mirrors that imperfectly reflect the love of Christ. We've talked about that a lot in the last couple of weeks, but I think it's a helpful illustration again here, right? Including in our love for our brothers and sisters in Christ, right? We, we just do. As new creations in Christ, Christians reflect the love of Christ, albeit imperfectly. No reflection at all, not even an imperfect one, which is true for those who make a practice of hating and not loving their supposed brothers and sisters in Christ, means they're not a Christian. They're not a true believer, if they're not reflecting the love of Christ in their, toward their supposed brothers and sisters in Christ at all, right? Again, as we've talked about many times, works don't produce salvation, right? We're not saved by our works. Let's get this clear, right? We're saved not by our works, but by grace alone. It's completely undeserved through faith in Christ alone and his finished works on our behalf. Amen? Not our works. Right, so works don't produce salvation, but salvation does produce works. Right. Uh, One example being an imperfect reflection of the love of Christ in our love for others, namely for our brothers and sisters in Christ here. Those who have come to true saving faith in Christ will reflect his love toward others, including their brothers and sisters in Christ, albeit imperfectly. Right. So by this, we shall know we are of the truth that the faith that we claim is genuine that we're true believers, that we truly have been saved by our reflection of the love of Christ toward our brothers and sisters in Christ. Again, not perfectly, but as a practice, as a ruling principle in our lives, as our new aim, right? Because again, like as a sorted mirror, a true believer will reflect the love of Christ, albeit imperfectly. Now, with varying degrees of clarity, right? We talked about this a little bit last week, right? With very, very degrees of clarity, depending on who the believer is, their maturity in Christ at the time, right? Which is something we need to continue to work on and grow in as we continue growing and maturing in the faith. But for the true believer, there will be a reflection of the love of Christ, albeit an imperfect one. If there's no reflection at all, it means we're not a true believer. So John is saying we can tell that the faith we claim is genuine that we're a true believer if we see that reflection of the love of Christ in us, albeit imperfectly. No reflection at all means we're a vampire. I mean, unbeliever, right? <laughs> I've made that joke before. I just think it's funny. Um, so he goes on to say, by this we shall know we are of the truth. Again, just kind of summarizing what we're seeing so far, that the faith that we claim is genuine, that we're true believers, that we truly have been saved by our reflection of the love of Christ toward our brothers and sisters in Christ, not perfectly, but as a practice, he goes on to say, and reassure our heart before him. Right, what does this mean? Well, as Curtis Vaughn notes, and I think this is helpful in his commentary in 1 John, heart in the Bible often stands for the whole inner man, emotion, intellect, will. Here, however, it seems to be used much as we use the word conscience. I think that's right. I think that's how John is using it here. He's using heart, to get at the idea of conscience. So the idea then seems to be by our bearing of the the, the fruit of a true disciple in our practice of Christ-like love for our brothers and sisters in Christ, we can know that our faith is genuine and have the confidence before God of a true believer. 
That's, I think, what John is driving at. In other words, bear the fruit of a child of God, of one who belongs to the family of God through faith in Christ, and have the confidence of a child of God as you stand before him. That's, I think, the idea. As opposed to the appropriate fear of one of his enemies, right? That's, that's the comparison. Fear of God's wrath, of his judgment as one of his enemies, right? Um, to give you a, a picture here, I can think of how I viewed my dad as a kid. So kind of get this picture. Uh, I, I think this is helpful. I, I can think of how I viewed my dad as a kid. His strength didn't scare me, okay? Uh, I had a healthy uh, fear as in respect of him, but I wasn't worried about his wrath, okay? Instead, his strength comforted me. Why? Because I'm one of his kids. <laughs> because I'm one of his kids. If anyone tried to hurt me, they should be worried about his wrath, right? <laughs> right? As one of his enemies, but not me because I'm one of his kids. Does that make sense? I think that's the idea here. Bear the fruit of a true child of God and have the confidence of a true child of God, as opposed to one of his enemies as you stand before him. Now, here's the problem. <laughs> The problem is, as sinners, even as true believers, the fruit that we bear is far from perfect. Amen? Right? And in some seasons, we may bear less than in others, depending on what we're going through, what we're struggling with, and so forth. Right? Now, as true believers, we'll never bear none. It's not a thing. There's no such thing as a true believer who bears no fruit. Right? So as true believers, we'll never bear none. Because true faith bears fruit. It just does. So as, as true believers will always bear some fruit, however imperfect. But in some seasons, it may be harder to see than in others. Amen? Does that make sense? And I believe that's at least in part why John says what he does in verse 20. Look at verse 20. He says, For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and he knows everything. Here we go. Uh, <laughs> now, commentators, I, I've been reading a lot of commentaries back and forth, and, and here's what I can tell you. Co commentators on this passage argue back and forth uh, all over the place on exactly what John is getting at here. here here's kind of the two uh, main positions they argue back and forth about. Here, here's the question. They, they argue back and forth as to whether John is A, encouraging true believers with a more sensitive conscience that even when they're worried they might not really be saved, that God knows that they are. That's option one. Or option two, is, God, is John warning those who claim to be believers but in fact are not, that if their conscience is condemning them, as in convicting them that they're not a true believer, how much more will God, who knows everything, including their lack of genuine faith, condemn them? Meaning to hell. <laughs> There's option two. That's kind of the main <laughs> two camps that, that commentators argue back and forth on. Now, here's what I will say. The principles that John lays down here apply to both. Like, they really do. And I'll explain what I mean. Um, firstly, for the true believer, whenever our conscience wrongly condemns us, meaning convicts us that we're not a true believer, God is greater than our heart. Ultimately, he's our judge, not our consciences, which can be wrong. Amen? Does that make sense? And he knows everything. God knows that we have genuine saving faith even when we're worried that we don't. So it definitely applies there. And for the false believer, for the false convert, 
for those who claim to be believers but in fact are not, whenever their consciences rightfully condemn them, convict them that they're not a true believer correctly, God is greater than their heart. As their ultimate, perfectly righteous judge, his sense of justice is even higher than their consciences. It's perfect, God's sense of justice. And he knows everything, including their lack of genuine faith. So they're in serious trouble if they don't repent and put true saving faith in Christ while there's still time. They're headed to hell if they don't repent and put true true saving faith in Christ, right? So repent and put true saving faith in Christ while there's still time. See, the principles he lays down applies to both categories, (laughs) Right? It, it, the principles he lays down here apply to both. But I do think that John has the first option, that being encouraging the true believer with a more sensitive conscience, primarily in mind in verse 20. Why do I say that? Well, ultimately because of the surrounding context. There's a bunch of other examples I can give as to kind of more reasoning. Um, but here's, here's kind of the main thing. It's just the surrounding passages, the surrounding verses. Verse 19 um, where John talked about reassuring our heart before him. That's the language he uses, not you should still be freaked out. (laughs) I'm worried about your soul. That's not the language he uses. He he uses the word reassure. That to me sounds like he's talking to true believers. Um, Verse 18, uh, where he calls them little children, right? Verse 21, where he calls them beloved, which seem to be terms of endearment for his fellow believers, Right. So that's why I I think there's hints here that he's addressing true believers here. And if he's addressing true believers in the surrounding context, it seems to me pretty unnatural that he would shift to address false believers in the middle. So he's talking to true believers and then he goes false believers and then he goes true believers again. I I think that's kind of clunky, though. Again, the principles that we talked about still apply. It still apply to the false believer who, whose conscience is rightfully uh, c- condemning them, convicting them that they're not a true believer, right? But I do think he, John, primarily has in mind encouraging the true believer with a more sensitive conscience. So all that said, verse 19 and 20 essentially amounts to this. We can know that the faith that we claim is genuine and have the confidence before God of a true believer by our Christ-like love for our brothers and sisters in Christ, Right? Not perfectly, but as a practice, as a ruling principle in our lives, as our new aim, which then shows up in how we live, albeit imperfectly. And observing this mark of a true believer in our lives helps to soothe our consciences when they wrongfully condemn us, when they wrongly convict us that we're not a true believer, and to give us the confidence before God of a true believer. Right? And even when our consciences wrongly condemn us, convict us that we're not a true believer, for those of us that are, God is ultimately our judge, not our consciences, which can be wrong. And he knows everything. He knows that we have genuine saving faith, even when we're, not, even when we're worried that we don't. That's, I think, the idea of verse 19 and 20. Now, to be clear, this is assuming that you do have genuine saving faith. <laughs> This is assuming that you do have genuine saving faith. If not, the principles we talked about earlier would apply. If your conscience is rightly convicting you that you're not a true believer because you bear none of the fruit that that true faith would bear, no reflection of the love of Christ at all, not even an imperfect one, 
then repent and put true saving faith in Christ while there's still time. Because if you don't, God, whose sense of justice is perfect and who knows everything, including every sin you've ever committed and your lack of genuine faith, will sentence you to hell forever. And the punishment will fit the crime. So look to Christ by faith that your sentence would be counted as served via his death on the cross in your place. Amen? Does that make sense? Verse 21 and 22. He goes on. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. In other words, when observing the marks of a true believer in our lives helps to soothe and quiet our consciences from wrongly condemning us as an unbeliever when we really are one, we get to experience the confidence before God that comes with knowing we're a true believer. Again, the, the, the confidence before God that comes with knowing we're a child of God rather than one of his enemies, to go back to that picture. One example John gives is the confidence before God that comes with knowing we're a true believer when we come before him in prayer. That's an example he highlights here. Verse 21 and 22 again. It says, Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, when observing the marks of a true believer in our lives helps to soothe and quiet our consciences from wrongfully, wrongly condemning us as an unbeliever when we really are one. He goes on to say, we, we, we have confidence before God, meaning we get to experience the confidence before God that comes with knowing we're a true believer, which includes verse 22. <laughs> and whatever we ask from him or, or whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. When we come before him in prayer, we have this confidence before God. Now, what does John mean by, and whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him? What does that mean? Um, well, let's talk about what it can't mean, because uh, <laughs> I think that narrows it down. Uh, he can't mean that believers will receive each and everything we ask for just as we ask for it when we come to God in prayer. That's obviously not true. Uh, that's obviously not true, both from experience, amen, right? And as we look at a ton of other passages throughout the Bible, that's obviously not what John is saying here. Here's what I think he is saying. I, I think this is an abbreviated version, a preview, if you will, of what he's going to unpack, what he's going to teach us and explain further in, in 1 John 5, verses 14 and 15, which, which say this. Here's 1 John 5, 14 and 15. And this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we have asked of him. So I think here in our passage is a preview of that verse. Though the condition of our prayer being according to his will is missing in verse 22. He doesn't say that in verse 22. I believe it's implied. <laughs> uh, I believe it's implied uh, given the similar language to 515 like the, those those passages sound pretty similar uh, here's what i mean both use the phrase whatever we ask right so there, there's an obvious similarity there so i think that fact is implied that we have to be praying according to his will and the fact that that uh, he makes this condition clear and fleshes it out letter in the uh, later in the same letter 
this condition that as long as we're praying according to his will, right? Here's what I mean by that. I think it's fair to assume that John thinks we'll read the rest of the letter. (laughs) I I do. I think that's kind of what he's doing here. He's giving us a preview of where he's going to go and unpack later. But I think it's fair to assume John thinks we're going to read the rest of the letter and not stop at verse 22. So when we get to 515, we'll see fleshed out what he meant in 322. Does that make sense? So I think it's implied here. That said, what does it mean then, kind of looking back at at 22, right? What does it mean then that whatever we ask, and and we're saying according to his will is implied there, we receive from him. What does that mean? (laughs) What does that mean? In short, I just want to give a quick unpacking of this without stealing too much of my own thunder, or our own thunder, whoever's going to preach that text, when we eventually preach through 1 John 5, 14 and 15. So in short, here's kind of what's going on. That as his people, whenever we pray in accordance with God's will, that's a prayer that God has promised to answer. That, that's what's being said here. Praying in accordance with God's will, including both his revealed and hidden will. His revealed will being what's revealed in his word, right? His commandments, uh, God's desires, his his plan as revealed in his word, right? Etc. This means praying biblical prayers in a biblical way, right? That, That both the way we're praying and what we're praying for is in accordance with the word of God. Does that make sense? So that's praying in accordance with God's revealed will. His hidden will, praying in accordance with his hidden will, His hidden will being his sovereign will, what will come to pass, right? According to God's sovereign plan as the sovereign king over all creation, that's not revealed in his word, right? And and though we can't and don't know the hidden will of God, we should still pray in accordance, meaning in submission to it. We should echo Jesus's words whenever we make our requests known to God in prayer. Jesus says this in Luke 22, 42, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Right? So even though we can't and don't know the hidden will of God, right? We we should still pray in submission to it as Jesus does in Luke 22, 42. So the, the promise here then is that whenever we pray in this way, in accordance with both the revealed and hidden will of God as his people, these are prayers that God has promised to answer. I think that's what's going on here. Now, more on that when we preach through 1 John 5, 14. We'll, we'll put a pin in that for now, so I don't, don't steal all of our thunder when we eventually get there. But that's just to understand what's going on in this passage. I think that, that helps to get us there. So that said, look back at verse 21 and 22 again just to kind of summarize so far what we're seeing. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, so again, when when observing the marks of a true believer in our lives helps to soothe and quiet our consciences from wrongly condemning us as an unbeliever when we really are a true believer, he goes on to say, we, we have confidence before God, meaning we get to experience the confidence before God that comes with knowing we're a true believer, which includes when we come before him in prayer. Verse 22, and whatever we ask, again, in accordance with his will, that's implied, (laughs) we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. What does that mean? Well, (laughs) in other words, here's what I think he's getting at. Because we bear the marks of a true disciple, 
because we bear the marks of a true disciple. Keep his commandments and do what pleases him sounds a lot to me like whoever practices righteousness in 3 verse 7 that we've already looked at. In other words, these are the marks of a true disciple. Whether we keep his commandments and do what pleases him, again, not perfectly, but as a practice, shows whether the faith that we claim is genuine or not. Not perfectly, but as a practice, as a ruling principle in our lives, as our new aim, which then shows up in how we live, albeit imperfectly. So, and as true believers, here's why I think he's highlighting this. We have confident access to God in prayer as his people, as true believers, in a way that non-believers just don't. And, and here's what I mean. Over and over again in scripture, we see that God's people have his ear, have confident access to him in prayer in a special way that non-believers just don't as those who've been reconciled to him by the blood of Jesus. Right now, not because we deserve it, <laughs> we don't, but because Christ has earned that access for us via his perfect life and sacrificial death in our place. Amen, does that make sense? We see this idea in Hebrews 4, 14 through 16, which says this, since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. In other words, because Jesus is our great high priest who lived a perfect life in our place and died a sacrificial death in our place, through faith in him we're forgiven and reconciled to God. And as part of that reconciled relationship with God, we now have confident access to him in prayer in a way that we didn't have before. As those who've been reconciled to him by the blood of Jesus. Amen? Does that make sense? Again, we're going to put a pin in that. <laughs> more, more on that when we get to 1 John 5, 14 and 15, where he'll unpack more of this further. But that helps us understand what's going on here. So... One second. There's a lot going on in this passage. Uh, so put all of that together, and here's what we get. Verse 21 and 22. All right, again, I'm going to summarize and explain as we go. But here's what we get. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, again, when observing the marks of a true believer in our lives helps to soothe and quiet our consciences from wrongly condemning us as an unbeliever, when we are a true believer... We have confidence before God. We get to experience the confidence before God that comes with knowing we're a true believer, which includes when we come before him in prayer. And whatever we ask, again, in accordance with his will, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. Because we're true believers, as shown by our practice of righteousness and not sin, and as true believers, we have confident access to God in prayer as ones who've been reconciled to God by the blood of Jesus. Does that make sense? There's a lot going on in this passage. <laughs> Put another way, this, this might help too. And whatever we ask, assuming we ask in accordance with his will, 
We receive from him because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. Because as true believers, we have confident access to God in prayer as ones who've been reconciled to God by the blood of Jesus, so proven to be by our practice of righteousness and not sin. It's another way to look at it. Same idea. So again, to give you this picture, the idea here being bear the fruit of a true child of God and experience the confidence that comes with knowing you're a true child of God, as opposed to one of his enemies as you stand before God, including when we approach him in prayer. I believe once we get to verse 23, this is shown to be the best reading of this passage. I think it gets clear that that seems to be what's going on. Look at verse 23. John says, and this is his commandment that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he has commanded us. In other words, the commandment (laughs) that by our keeping of it gives us confidence as we stand before God, including when we come before him in prayer, is what? That we believe in Jesus. That we put true saving faith in Christ, that we'd be saved. And that we'd love one another, that we'd reflect the love of Christ in our love for others, in particular in our love for our brothers and sisters in Christ, and so prove to be true disciples, so prove that our faith is genuine. Again, not perfectly, but as a practice, as a ruling principle in our lives, as our new aim, which then shows up in how we live, albeit imperfectly. Again, Christians are like a distorted mirror. We will reflect the love of Christ in our love for others, albeit imperfectly, including in our love for our brothers and sisters in Christ. No reflection at all, not even in a perfect one, equals not a true believer, right? That said, I think Curtis Vaughn is also onto something. I think this is worth highlighting and in his commentary uh, on this section. Um, I think he's onto something when he says this. These two commandments believe in Christ and love the brethren are brought together so closely that John can speak of them as a single commandment. We infer from this that there is no true belief in the name of Christ apart from a love for his people. And there is no true love for his people apart from belief in the name of the son. I think that's a really helpful explanation for why he says this commandment and then it's two things. (laughs) So do that. If we do that, if we put saving faith in Christ and and reflect the love of Christ in our love for others, albeit imperfectly, and so prove that our faith is genuine, if we do that, we, we get to experience the confidence that comes with knowing we're a true child of God, as opposed to one of his enemies as we stand before him, including when we come to him in prayer, right? I think that's the idea here. Again, experience the confidence of knowing you're one of his kids as opposed to one of his enemies in the face of his awesome power and perfect justice, right? So in summary, again, here's kind of to summarize this passage is this. Making a practice of righteousness shows that the faith that we claim is genuine and gives us the confidence before God of a true believer, In other words, and again, here's our main point for this morning, another way to summarize that, bear the clear marks of a true believer and experience the confidence before God of a true believer. 
of one who knows they've been reconciled to God by the blood of Jesus, by their practice of righteousness and not sin, which shows that the faith that they claim is genuine. Again, bear the clear marks of one of his kids and experience the confidence of knowing you're one of his kids as opposed to one of his enemies in the face of his awesome power and perfect justice. Amen? Does that make sense? Okay. How do we respond to this text? There's two things I want to leave you guys with as we close for this morning. Two, two ways I think we can respond to this text. Number one, make a practice of righteousness in particular in reflecting the love of Christ in your love for your brothers and sisters in Christ and so prove to be true believers. Again, not perfectly, but as a practice, as a ruling principle in our lives, as as our new aim, which then shows up in how we live, albeit imperfectly. Because true faith bears fruit, including a Christ-like love for our brothers and sisters in Christ. Again, albeit imperfectly. If you're a true believer, like a distorted mirror, you will reflect the love of Christ in your love for others, including in your love for your brothers and sisters in Christ. Albeit an imperfect reflection, but you will have one. (laughs) Right? Not perfectly, but as a practice, as your new aim, which then shows up in how you live. Right? So firstly, make a practice of righteousness, in particular in reflecting the love of Christ and your love for your brothers and sisters in Christ, and so prove to be true believers. Secondly, this is one I think we can miss with this passage. (laughs) If you're in a season where if you are a true believer, it's hard to tell right now, knock it off. Like, really. <laughs> um, th- this, this is your big brother pep talk for me right now. Uh, where I'm not sugarcoating, no pulling punches, straight to the point. Stop doing that. You know better if you're a true believer. Amen? Does that make sense? I know that's simple and straightforward, but I think sometimes we need that. Can we admit that? <laughs> We need just to, hey, stop doing that. You know you shouldn't. And, and can totally stop doing that and walk from that, walk in obedience, albeit imperfectly, by the power of the Holy Spirit, right? So repent of that by the power of the Holy Spirit. Start living in such a way that it's clear that your faith is genuine, that you'd experience the confidence of one who knows they're a true believer. Again, bear the clear marks of one of his kids and experience the confidence of knowing you're one of his kids as opposed to one of his enemies in the face of his awesome power and perfect justice. Does that make sense? So if you are a true believer, start living in a way that that's clear. Amen? By the power of the Holy Spirit. Thinking back to that, that illustration of how I looked at my dad when I was a kid, I, I, I want you to experience the confidence, the, the, the comfort in the face of God's awesome power that comes with knowing that you're one of his kids. As opposed to the uncertainty and fear that comes with worrying, what if I'm still one of his enemies? Right? If you're not, start living in such a way that it's clear that you're not still one of his enemies. That you're bearing the marks, uh, you're bearing of the clear marks of a true believer would help soothe your troubled conscience, right? If you are still one of his enemies, if you lack genuine faith as evidenced by the fact that you lack any mark of a true believer, then repent and put true saving faith in Christ that you'd be saved while there's still time. And then you too will reflect the love of Christ in your love for others, albeit imperfectly, and so prove to be a true disciple. Pray with me.
Lord, we thank you for this time together this morning. We thank you for this reminder. Lord, we, we thank you that, Lord, you, you know whether our faith is genuine. We thank you for that reminder and that good news that even when our consciences wrongly convict us that we're not, when we really are true believers, Lord, that you know that our faith is genuine. Well, Lord, help us to heed the overall point of this passage, the, the kind of implications of this passage, that if we're living in a way that it's not clear that we're one of, his, one of your kids, Lord, help us to start living in a way where we clearly bear the marks of one of your kids that we'd have the confidence of a true believer as we stand before you. Lord, help us to do that. Give the, us the desire and the ability to live accordingly. Empower us by your Holy Spirit to turn from living in a way that it's not clear whether we even know you. If we do know you, and that's the way that we're living. Lord, I, I do, we, we, we thank you, Lord, that our righteousness is not found in ourselves and in our works, but in your perfect righteousness on our behalf on in in your finished works on our behalf and your perfect life and sacrificial death in our place we thank you for that that we're saved not by our works thank you lord but by your finished works on our behalf lord jesus we pray all these things in your name amen